Welcome to another episode of the British Touring Car Podcast with me, Sam, and Russell. Uh, as you heard at the beginning, we will be looking at our favourite moments from the British Touring Cars. Uh, now, generally, I think we're covering areas that we've been witness to, although I think there may be one or two that we haven't. Um, but we're looking into events and memories that sort of like bring it all flooding back to us, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. So most of them will be sort of from our era that we've looked at because they are more personal and memorable to us because we were there at the time. There is one on my list that doesn't uh, follow that convention, uh, just on the basis that I think it's such an important BTC theme moment. It was too difficult to leave out. Uh, we're not actually ranking them this week because they are so different. There's no actual theme as such. So we'll be talking through them together. Uh, and obviously, please do share your BTC memories with us as well. Yeah, well, I think we should get straight into it. Um, we'll probably run through them in, what, a chronological order? Start with what happened earliest and uh, yep. lead up to the modern day. Um, so I think you're first up, aren't you? I think so. I'm going all the way back to 1992. Uh, so this is before my era, before I was even born. Uh, Same. Like they're very angry. Yep. Um, so this is sort of not my era of the touring cars. However, when you look back at memorable moments of the touring cars, this is always one that makes the list. Uh, I'm talking of the clash between Steve Soper and John Clennon at Silverstone in 1992. Uh, so for those who aren't aware, it's definitely worth the YouTube. The clip has only worked about uh, half long, so it won't take too much out of the day. It was effectively going for the championship. Uh, I believe it was the last race of the season. Uh, Tim Harvey was uh, in line to win it. Uh, however, he needed to get past Clennon and Soper at the time. Uh, Clennon and Soper raced sort of door to door, uh, ring mirror to ring mirror all the way down the straight uh, which allowed Tim Harvey to get past uh, Steve Soper did get past Clend at one point which uh, resulted in a middle finger from John Lennon who you can see inside the car uh, beautifully disguised by the commentator as uh, I believe this is an eyes of yes he wants to be number one where rather than <laughs> that, it was the middle finger that had been raised uh, and then Harvey got past in a completely clean manner they did rub uh, door handles uh, Glenn and, and Harvey but a completely clean move by Tim Harvey. Uh, this then led uh, Clem to try and react quickly. He got tried to get past uh, Sofa. He actually ended up on two wheels trying to go past him in one corner. I um, remember that. Yeah, a bit of a kick off the curb and also running into Sofa. Uh, Sofa didn't really take this line down. Uh, going to Luffield, he retaliated by turning them both the hell around uh, and thus putting them both out of the race meaning Tim Harvey would go on to clinch the title. Now whilst that is, you may think, well, you know, that's just a clash in the touring cars. We see that all the time, Alan Neal and Thurpton last year. It was the trackside interview that kind of catches imagination afterwards, in which John Clennand uh, refers to Steve Sofa as an animal, questions whether this is stock car racing, and says it might be right where he's from in Germany, where he's Mr. Superstar, but it's not all right here. Uh, made even better by the fact Clennand's, of course, of Scottish descent, and therefore an angry Scot always makes things much more interesting than an angry British person. 
Yeah, I think the thing that you need to point out more about that is Steve Soper was Tim Harvey's teammate at that point, and he was doing the ultimate role of teammate and uh, supporting him when he needed to support him. Well, that's probably correct. I didn't want to say it in so many words, because, but you are probably correct uh, that it was. I believe you're right. It was premeditated to uh, make sure Harvey wasn't caught up yeah of course they were both in that um, quite famous like turquoisey BMW 3 series weren't they and Cleland was in the Cleland was in the Vauxhall Cavalier back then he was yeah he was yeah the the amount of times that we've seen that footage either in sort of like the highlight reels or the opening scenes of the touring cars on TV it's always one that springs to mind Um, and I don't know, sort of epitomises the BTCC. Oh yeah, it shows you what the competition means to everyone, and that people will almost go to any length to win. Um, I know this specifically wasn't for Soper to win, but of course it was for his teammate Tim Harvey to win. Yeah, that's it. That's that's why it's on my list because of the, the wider ramification. But also, those are the days of say trackside interviews before health and safety you know, prevented those from becoming a, a regular thing. Um, and I kind of enjoy the fact that they got them straight after the race. Incredibly angry. Uh, it makes it a lot more exciting to, to watch. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fantastic interview, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, what's your first moment in the list? I think that probably comes my earliest. My first memorable moment in the BTCC comes from all the way back in 2006. Uh, Matt Neal was reigning champion uh, in that classic Honda Integra. Plato had moved into the Seat Leon from being in the Toledo the previous year. Um, And I'm going to take you to Snetterton. Race 2. Final lap. And over the previous sort of like 5-6 laps, Matt Neal had made up for 4.5 seconds catching Plato. Um, So they, they were battling as they normally do. All the way down the Bentley Strait. Uh, Matt Neal coming into the S's goes to the outside gets an overlap on Jason Plato um, and the next corner is the right hander at Bombhole and Matt Neal goes to turn in thinking he's probably just far enough ahead for Jason Plato to yield now I I know that's a weird concept for Jason Plato to yield um, but he thought he might turned in, uh, gets turned across the front of the Sayat slides sideways through bomb hole taking out one of the advertising hoardings manages to catch it somehow I, that that part of it still confuses me and then they both head off round Corum down into the final chicane where Matt Neal launches another move down the inside having Jason already got back past him um, and Jason Plato just turns into him again and completely spins him round this time um, and goes on to take victory in that race. Now, I'm not quite sure how that still stood. Uh, the interview afterwards was interesting, to say the least. Um, Jason very much brushed over it, and Matt Neal was very much like, just ask Toker to deal with it, because if I say anything, <laughs> yeah. then uh, he'll get lambasted for it. But yeah, it's it's a it's a move that always comes to my mind when you talk about Plato and Neil. Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out as well for people that don't necessarily remember that year as well uh, as, as we are talking about it. 
that was sort of the height of Neil Plato rivalry. You know, they yeah. they've calmed down a lot in recent years. But I think it's fair to say that was sort of the hate, sorry, the, the height of their hatred for one another, the height of their bitter racing rivalry at that point. Um, and it was also Plato was the only person. I suppose James Thompson was still in it at that point, but it was mainly Plato was going for the title against Neil um, that season. Uh, which is why it's an even more standout moment for me because it was such a, a title or potentially such a title defining moment had Neil not finished the race, had Neil won the race, you know. And it was such a sort of a dubious move. Uh, I thought I must say I thought the bomb hole bit was a racing incident. I've looked back at it several times. I think that's just down to Neither driver wanting to yield. Yeah, and I don't actually think Matt Neal had the correct space for Plato to yield, actually. Mm. Um, I don't think he was the, the famous car length in front to yield. Um, as for the incident, was it the Russell chicane then? Is that yeah. what it was called back then? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that is a lot harder to try and defend, Your Honour. Um, I was going to say, he's, he's completely down the inside, and he's turned in on Matt Neal's sort of like rear three quarter to send him spinning in the opposite direction yeah. which is just like it's obvious what he's done Matt Neal's made a Matt Neal fairly cleanish move down the inside um, and yeah it's, <laughs> I think memorably Plato came out with well rubbings racing yeah um, which has gone on for quite a while after that um, and it's always been brought up when people have said, well, Robin's racing, isn't it? Yeah, as I said, the, the, the first bit, I think, is more, as I said, racing. The second bit is that stand-up well, because they continued it on. I mean, it's very rare that you have a big impact for a fast four-night bomb hole, and then both cars still stay in the same position or, you know, in the same vicinity of one another to have, yep. have a go at the next part of the circuit. Uh, I was also there that day, um, and I was actually still on the Russell chicane, and the noise. <laughs> there were, again, it's worth reiterating. At that point, there were two, effectively two camps in the Touring Car Paddock. Yeah. It was Team Neil or Team Plato. They, they were the two protagonists of the title. You had the sort of the floating in between. Everyone kind of liked James Thompson in between, but it was either you were Neil or you were Plato. Yeah. And there was a groan. You could hear the massive groan. You could hear the massive cheer. cheer. <laughs> you could see the daggers being looked at each other from sort of both sides of the, the equation. But I remember we had one person once on a massive VXR flag. Um, for the Vauxhall team who was on Team Neil at that point when Jason made his move and you also had the, the team Plato cranked up next to us as well who claiming and to anyone that would listen it was a completely fair move and Neil outbranked himself and, and being that the second race of the weekend Neil actually went on to win the third race yes which which was just like just desserts for him really yeah, so that's certainly when their rivalry really went, went up a gear. We'd have it continue for, I know there's another moment coming up later, but it certainly continue for the best part of, what, five, six years after that? Oh, yeah, most definitely. My second moment in the BTCC is really personal one to me, actually. Uh, back in 2008, Matt Jackson was driving in that BMW 3 Series, that classic white uh, white one. Uh, Giovinardi yep. was in the Vectra. Plato was in the Seat. Um, and I'm talking about Silverstone. Okay. So Silverstone that season came fairly late on in the season. Um, Jackson and Giovinardi were competing towards the title. Um, Giovinardi eventually went on to win it. But at Silverstone, it was incredibly wet, first of all, which isn't too much of a surprise for all of you. Um, in race two, Jackson had an accident. Um, again, Luffield was involved, came out of there. 
lit the rear tyres up in the BMW on the wet kerbs. Yeah. Was spun round uh, and collected by one of the Team Halford Civics, uh, which caused a decent amount of damage. But he, he ended up finishing the race in 13th, having started from second on the grid. Um, Giovinardi went on to win that race, uh, but the moment for me was how Matt Jackson came back through the field in race three. So having started 13th on the grid in a soaking wet Silverstone, Jackson had been quick all weekend. He managed to battle his way through the field in probably a car that's notoriously difficult in the rain, the rear-wheel drive BMW, and he went on to win race three from 13th on the grid. Um, and it it became even more significant because at the time um, I was very much watching the touring cars with uh, my mum and they had this thing called Champagne Moments sponsored by Q, who were the championship sponsors at the time and you got to vote on your Champagne Moment from a certain weekend and weirdly enough mum voted for Matt Jackson coming through the field in that final race and she actually won it and that meant that we both got to go to the final round at Brands um, got to go um, into Matt Jackson's garage and mum got to present him with a, a magnum bottle of champagne on the grid which was pretty cool oh, fantastic. Um, so yeah but that was all about Jackson's drive and determination to get back through the grid because it was at a point in the championship where he needed to do as much as possible. He came through to win that final race, and then the next round was Brands. He went on to win the first two races, trying to get as close as he could to Giovinardi in the championship, but unfortunately he just fell short. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a very a very worthy moment, of course, but I think it's going to be a theme as we discuss some of these, and they are going to perhaps be the personal ones to us. Um, that's what a moment is supposed to be, you know. It's what what we remember the touring cars for uh, or what we think defines the touring cars etc so that's a very personal one to you I, I don't recall the Jackson fight back that well uh, if I'm honest with you I have got a fight back in my life a bit newer uh, and hopefully you, you remember it better than I remember this one um, yeah it, that's a really cool BTC moment for yourself and also for the sport it kept the title going yeah. all the way to the wire well, the second one uh, in my list uh, in terms of time period, we're going to go back to 2009, which remarkably is 11 years ago. Oh, don't. You're making me I feel know. old. I know. It make, yeah, it makes you realise how long we've been watching this old sport, doesn't it? Um, and my moment, I've cheated a little bit, because it's not a moment as such, it is a weekend, and it is the finale weekend at Brands Hatch. Uh, we've discussed it previously in our Top 5 Seasons podcast, um, but this for me is the king of all finales. You know, we had Jason Plato win all three races for the only the second time in touring car history. Yeah. Uh, Dan Eves' uh, achievement. This, of course, wasn't enough for him to win the title. It was even more bizarre. You win all three final races, you still can't win the title. It was the first uh, title point in Turpentin, which would start off the Turpentin dynasty, which we now know to be four. Um, in my opinion, it's just an example of how BTC should be. So the top three drivers, Turpentin, Plato and Giovinardi, were miles ahead of the rest of the field. Mm. Their consistency throughout the season was... Um, in any other season, Giovinardi would have won it, Plato would have won it in any other season. Yeah. Because their consistency and point scoring was unbelievable. The gap between uh, third and fourth was mind-blowing for a touring car era. Uh, 
season. And then you also get onto the standard of driving. So for that last weekend, we know Plato's got history, as discussed in the uh, one whole incident. Giovinardi is fairly well renowned for being clear. Has had his moments in the touring car. Uh, I, just, just hopping back to the Jackson one. Jackson yeah. actually had a moment with Giovinardi in that second race at Silverstone. Yes, yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah. the, the nasty, the nasty streak, as you can call it, in Giovinardi was there. I mean, he is revered as the, one of the cleanest drivers in the sport, and I think that's a fair comment. But he was capable of it, and the same for Colin Turkington. We've seen him use muscle at times, and in this race, he used muscle. But Neil was quite back on the field. Uh, and Turkington had to use a little bit of a brace just to get past. Uh, Neil, of course, racing for VXR at that point, so trying to help Giovinardi. Turkson yep. um, did get through a little bit of push on Neil, but it's the quality, as I said, of, of the three drivers that Turkson uh, had a problem with his car. Giovinardi could have quite easily punted him off, or, or at least been a bit more aggressive in getting past him, should we say, or the car was limping, didn't do so, kept it clean throughout. Plato won his three. Uh, races relatively cleanly for Jason Plato's standard as well. He was driving the Chevrolet at that time, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he yeah. was. He was. Um, so I say, all in all, it was just a really good example of what three top drivers can do when they're all going for the championship. You know, At the end, you can't argue that a better man didn't win on the day because there was no incident. In a way, mm. it's an incident because there was no incident. Yeah. Racing spoke for itself that day with um, three fantastic performances with three fantastic drivers. Yeah, I mean, just that achievement in itself to win all three races in a weekend, especially with the format that the British Touring Cars has in having that extra weight for the second race and the reverse grid for the third race. Yes, you can get lucky and maybe you'll pull sixth out for the reverse grid, but you've still got that extra weight on board and you've still got to be able to work past the cars that are lighter and possibly more nimble in front of you. Yeah. Um, so that's why we all, all look at... To, to the drivers that have done that triple and and think wow what an achievement yeah and so Jason did all he could do that weekend you know, yes. he did come into that race weekend a little bit further back than he would have liked but he did all he could do and it still wasn't enough and that for me is saying why it does stand out as a, a fantastic moment we've had some finales that have left us feeling a little bit short changed some have left a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth we've hmm. discussed previously as well with this one I there was no sort of ill feeling of, or not foul play, but you know what I mean. Neil did his usual back it up, which made sense, but it didn't actually have too much of an effect on the result. Right. He did drive in the rules as well. Yeah. So yeah, I just think it was a really, really exciting finale. Uh, albeit okay, it wasn't the five car shootout we've had in recent years. When you look at the actual stands in the day, the talking point is there was no talking point. There was mm. three great drivers going at it, and the best man won the day. Well, talking of great drivers, uh, I, I shall move on to my next point. 2011, um, Plato Matt Neal have come up again. Yes. Uh, so I'm talking about Rockingham, huh. a, a circuit that we all know and love and uh, were pretty much excited by the racing that went on there. Um, yeah, however, I'm looking towards a qualifying session. Um, so the two drivers... Plato, Neil in um, Chevrolet and Honda Civic respectively were battling for track position in qualifying to obviously get the best lap in to start as high up the grid as possible to get your weekend off to a good start and uh, that battling on track 
um, got a little feisty, shall we say. Yeah. There, there were nudges from both parties. Uh, I think Shedden was in there a bit as well, trying to hold Plato up as, as well. Um, yeah, so Shedden tried to effectively shield Neil, uh, the opposite of a toe, basically, to try and get Plato away so Neil could get away, yeah. 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 Um, so there, there were bumps and knocks with uh, Plato trying to get on his lap and Matt Neil trying to make space for himself and stuff like that. Uh, and coming towards the end of the session, they pull up in the pit lane. Uh, Jason gets out and um, he's done fairly well in the session, but he, he's taken pole at that point. He's taken pole, yeah. Uh, and uh, he uh, lets Matt Neil know that he's got pole by using one of his fingers and wasn't obviously clear as to which one, but I can pretty much guess which one. Um, and Matt Neil comes storming over. Dad in tow, may I add, for both yeah. parties. Yeah. Um, and it, it goes something along the lines of Matt Neil would like to rip Jason Plato's face off, uh, was one of the quotes with extra expletives. And just seeing that on the footage and thinking, okay, yeah, they're two passionate drivers that really care, and their rivalry has been well documented throughout. And I think that's probably the closest that they've come to an actual punch-up. Well, you say closest because, of course, Neil did go to throw a punch. To his yes, he yeah, did, he did. He held himself back, and I think he'll probably be thankful he did, but he did go to throw a punch. And as he was being led away by his dad, Plato made the... Um, how do you make it a friendly version? A, a knuckle shuffle. Knuckle shuffle, yes. We'll say that we'll, to make it family-friendly. Well, if you're funny with young people listening, turn it down. You made the wanker sign at him, basically. Yeah, um, and as Matt Neal was walking away, he was like, you better watch out, Jason. Yeah. And it's like, it's like it's playground stuff, really. Plato but, kept his helmet on, though, interestingly. <laughs> he did. Matt, Matt Neal already had his helmet off by then. Yeah. And looked ginger in the footage. It yeah. might be old footage, but he looks ginger. Yeah. But yeah, for me that is a memorable moment because of the rivalry that those two had. Yes. Not very often did it get to that stage outside of the car. No, they're very they're, they're both very normally restrained characters. They'll say their pieces in interviews and yeah. wind each other up and what have you. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the only occasion I can remember where they've actually. It. I mean, Neil's come storming down the pit lane. He has. He's made up some good ground. I was um, going to say, Rockingham's not a small pit lane. No, it's not. It's not. So I think you're right. I think that's the only memorable moment of those two actually almost coming to blows that I can remember outside of the cars. Um, and it's spectacle because, you know, Saturday in the touring cars are a little bit dull. You know, yeah. the qualifying session it is what it is. There is no real way of making it more exciting that I can think of. You know, it is. You have 30 cars on a second, a quick time over a you know, 30 minute period. It, you can't, you just it up very well. But to have that, in, because of the way Rockingham is as well, that pit, the pit lane, uh, full view of the crowd, everyone who was there got to see it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic piece of entertainment. Um, and it shows you how much passion they have for the sport and that it means so much to them yeah. that they want to get the best out of every possible session. Absolutely. Well, my next uh, one also occurs at Rockingham, only yeah. two years later. So we're talking 2013 uh, Rockingham, and it's Rob Austin's first win uh, in the Touring oh, Cars yeah. in the Audi A4. It was Audi's first win in the series since 1997 uh, as well. So, wow. Yeah, a first for both. But yeah, Rob Austin, 
it's, it's ultimately that win didn't change much in course of the championship. It's not a, a season-defining moment. But Rob Austin is so well liked from the grid. Um, it's the true underdog story. That car limited, should we say? It wasn't. It wasn't it wasn't the worst, it wasn't the best, it's average. At the time, yes, it was limited to such extent. Um, there were certainly better cars on the grid, uh, but there were also a couple of, couple that weren't quite as good as it. Yeah, so it's that mid-pack at best. Was and it? It, was, it was a car that he was really well settled in. Yes, yes it was. Um, you know, there's problems with the team as well. There was um, problems with money uh, during the season, uh, particularly at the shunt at the start of the season, whether he was going to be able to carry on racing that year was in doubt at some points. Uh, and again, it, it holds a place in my heart because it was a, I was there moment. I was mm. on, on the uh, Rockingham Speedway grandstand, and the cheer that went up when he came out of the final chicane ahead was, I, I mean, Rockingham was great for making noise, but yeah. everyone stamping their feet and the cheering was and wolf whistling because he's a fan favourite. And everyone loves an underdog in the touring cars. And at that point, that was an underdog win. Worth pointing out as though it was race two, not race three, so it wasn't by reverse grid, it was, you know, by skill on the day, because as you said earlier, you can get a bit lucky with reverse grid, yeah. particularly if you are a mid-pack driver to you know, get pushed up to the front. Um, but no, it was a fantastic win. Uh, he would do the same next year as well, which is quite interesting, at Rockingham. Um, but it's just the fact it was his first one on the calendar, and how well-loved and revered he is by the fans of the sport. It was a really good moment. Yeah, that that specific Audi was one that had the really memorable livery as well. It was the yeah, Exocet one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was great to see once he got into the pit lane and got out of the car, the emotion that came across of how he celebrated just shows you what it meant to him to take his first win in the BTCC. Um, yeah. He's an incredible character. Um, it's a shame that we haven't had him around in the last couple of seasons in the in the paddock because he's always always got a smile on his face always got something cheery to say yeah. um, and he's one of the one of the fun guys really in oh, yeah. the touring cars yeah you say he's the joke of the pack um, he's well respected by the drivers and well liked by the drivers as well and again you know it's not when you look back at BTCC history is it going to go down as the defining moment no but for moments I've experienced and the noise when he got on top of the roof of his car yeah. I mean Spell, spell by me. Well, the penultimate one in my list, uh, and next chronologically, is 2018. Um, and we're talking Tom Ingram, and we're talking Snetterton. So at this point, Tom Ingram was still in detention for the championship. Um, however, a retirement in race one put a serious dent in that title charge. Uh, starting at the back of the grid is never easy in the touring cars. Uh, there's no easy passes. Uh, Chuck into that, that the rain had been on and off all weekend. There were some torrential downpours at times. There were also some, some sort of uh, light bursts, but the track was certainly down for race two. So the real kind of about what tyre to go on. Is it going to get wet? Say, is it going to stay dry? Is it going to stay damp? Etc. Etc. And then all that you've got to try and save your title uh, from the back of the field. So it's not easy, and it could easily potentially be the end of the Tom Ingram type charge. Destin curse fairly late on in the season. I think it was only not clear on Silverstone brands after this so yeah. you know uh, but Tom Ingram decided that he wanted to, to keep his title challenge alive and came from the back of the field to third in what was quite frankly a ridiculous recovery drive it was the speed he had on I've never quite seen anything like it on such a speed comparison to the rest of the field he was I mean I think part of it was chucking caution to the winds and if it doesn't come off it doesn't come off but he took a say I tried 
but some of the moves and some of the speed he had throughout that race was unbelievable in, in the old Toyota events as well so it was a well tuned and a well set up car uh, obviously the, the family had it for a while knew the best uh, configuration for it but my mind did he do the job well it's, it's something that he's been a little bit known for um, especially yeah. in those races where you've got changing conditions and he'll be the one to go yeah why not let's gamble on it sometimes it doesn't pay off and then you get moments like this where it does and yeah. as you say the speed that he was carrying through the field it was like I remember uh, quite a while back it must have been sort of like early 2000s maybe mid 2000s when teams were allowed to put different compound tyres on the front to the back yeah. Yeah. and I remember that I was at one of those oh, watching on TV and I remember saying to my mum oh, just go wets on the front slicks on the back or something like that and someone did it and they went on to win the race <laughs> um, but this is a moment where you had to choose the same compound attire all the way around and he made the right call and it worked perfectly nearly well, um, yeah, I think when you get a third, I mean, to get a podium back in the grid is yeah. unbelievable. And he got that on the line, by the way, as well. He yeah. outdragged, I think it was Sutton to the line. Um, so, was it Neil? I can't remember. He outdragged, he out, I think it might have been Neil, actually, but he outdragged to the line. Um, yeah. Just to completely come back. I think that weekend's also special because, again, I was there. I was actually coming from that weekend, so I was in the tent and experiencing it with them. And also we had the double diamond jubilee race after it was just a really good weekend all round and i want to see the touring cars be more interesting third races or just 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 spice it up again now and then because whilst it is exciting uh we've never played the touring cars to be boring i think those kind of one-off events perhaps once a season they have a night race or something like that just makes it even more exciting yeah yeah we were both there that weekend in fact we were the last um, race again. It was the Jubilee race. It started dry, and we ended up quite wet towards the end. It was just such a strange weekend for changing weather. It was a really weird, weird weekend, and I remember that I cycled over there, and that wasn't a pleasant <laughs> journey home. <laughs> uh, think about it, because I remember at one point I was on top of the Heineken bus having a, a nice beer in the sun. Yep. The next, like, we were running for cover because the heavens are open. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was a strange weekend. Um, but I say that is one of the best recovery drives I've ever seen in the touring cars. Yeah, I, I think changeable conditions always normally makes for a good race or a good weekend of racing because uh, it throws up so, man, so many unpredictable moments um, and, yeah, it just makes for a good spectacle, really. And it's worth pointing out as well, actually, before we, before we move on to the next one, is that by no means was uh, Ingram in a bad car, but it wasn't in the best car on the grid. It's not like he was, no. you know, the Honda or the Subaru of that era. He was in a... A good, a, a stable car. He was getting great results with. But it, you know, it was aging. Yeah, it was, which makes it the, the drive even more impressive, in my opinion. Um, so, as you said, moving on to the next one. Um, mine comes from last season, uh, my penultimate one, and specifically back to Silverstone. Seems to have a lot of good races at Silverstone, especially yep. when there are changeable conditions. And mine is the race three win for Jack Goff and Team Hard in that Volkswagen Passat and yeah. that was an absolutely hectic, hectic race um, so it was mixed conditions, drivers didn't oh, know when, 
So, sorry? I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> drivers, drivers didn't know whether to go on slicks or wets. Uh, I think most of the fields started on dries, didn't they? And everyone had yeah. to make pit stops at a certain point to go onto the wet tyres because it, it was just getting heavier and heavier. I think the track started greasy. Um, yeah, but it was dry at the start of the race. It was yes. wet. I can tell you for a fact, having sat in the grandstand, it was wet at the end of the race. <laughs> it was very wet at the end of the race. Um, and Jack Goff, along with Aidan Moffat, were one of the first people to come in and switch on to the wet tyres. Yeah. And uh, some people at the time think, ah, it's a gamble. It's something that a team at the back, like Team Hard, unfortunately, in that Volkswagen, could do and go, ah, we've got nothing to lose. And at that point, they didn't. And once people had started realizing that the slicks weren't going to cut it towards the end or till the end of the race, everyone dived into the pits. And the pit lane—that's probably the most hectic I've seen the pit lanes in the British touring cars. You're right. And even but what was even strange about that is that the dry tire or, or the slick didn't fall away as quickly as we then thought. Because initially, no. you're right, Goff and Moffat made up a hell of a lot of time very, very quickly. Yeah. But Carriage was still at the front. Still third, I think, with only two laps. Of, I think it might have been a lap and a half to go. And then yeah. suddenly, it just completely fell away. Yeah, it did. Um, I remember at the time, you know, thinking, well, they've made the right call, definitely. But it, they may have just gone in, the rain may have come a lap too late to make the full uh, count. Because I say, Camish was fine until suddenly he wasn't. Yeah, so eventually, as both Goff and Moffat were battling through either drivers in front of them or slow drivers that have just made a pit stop that were being lapped, yeah. uh, Moffat had that complete 360 spin oh, coming out of the first corner, which dropped him back a little bit, took a little bit of the pressure off of Goff, and as you say, there are a couple of drivers still on that dry tyre towards the end of the race. Um, and he had to fight past those. Eventually, him and Moffat got to the front of the field, and he went on to win the race. But the thing, the image that stays in my mind is him getting into the pit lane, as with Rob Austin, getting out of that car and absolutely smacking the hell out of the roof of that Volkswagen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to see that again that emotion on his face and what it meant for Team Hard to take their first victory in the British Touring Cars. Absolutely, and Chris was was he seventh or ninth? He was certainly in the top ten as well, so it was yeah. a great result for them. But you say, yeah, it was a really big moment because it wasn't cut and dry, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> there are times where you thought that's the greatest decision ever made. There are also times thinking, oh, it's not going to pay off quite. They need they need to have a few laps really. Yeah. There's other points you're thinking, crap, are they going to let the race finish because there were some really big huddles gathering. You did wonder, is the safety car going to? Well, there were a few instances with, with the safety car out um, early on in the race. You did think to yourself... Were they going to red flag it because of conditions, especially with drivers not swapping over to those wet tyres? Exactly. Were they going to make you restart the race on wets? Or were they going to... It was a really exciting uh, flip-flopping race. Uh, and as you say, a great result for Team Hard and a great result for Jack Goff. He, he eventually won the race by over seven seconds. Yes. Um, and I remember at the the end of the race, as we said, the rain was practically torrential. Horizontal. <laughs> and we both got wet in the grandstand. Yeah, absolutely horizontal rain towards the end of it. It was and it was cold horizontal rain as well. Uh, I was on the first corner for the final race. So I forget what it was called. I get fed up with Silverstone's different uh, configurations, but yeah, 
Is it Pops the first corner? Oh, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, I do know. Yeah. <laughs> but very, yeah, very well. it, it was it was a fantastic victory for them to make, especially with the amount of work that Team Hard have been doing for the British Touring Cars. The amount yeah. of drivers that they've blooded and the amount of hard work and effort they put into getting three or four cars onto the grid more or less every season for the last, what, seven, eight years? Three. Um, but yeah, that, that was a standout moment for me. Agreed. Well, my last moment is also 2019. Uh, though we're going back an event, uh, not two events, certainly back one. Uh, it's Nesson again, uh, another track that does seem to throw up some really exciting dramas uh, throughout the years. Um, and it's one of the most bizarre moments, I think, particularly as I was stood on this corner. Again, it's one of those where I stood out and watched it unfold in front of my eyes. Plato, Sutton, Butcher trying to go three ways through the chicane at the end of the Bentley straight. Now, I was never great at maths, and it's <laughs> mocked in the group many a time, but three into one does not go, two into one scarcely goes, and through a very fast part of the track, three into one definitely isn't going to go. We, um, we were stood there from, what, lap two? Yeah. Going, something bad's going to happen here. So yeah. one, one of these three is not going to make it through. Yeah, you're right. So ahead of the incident, they were squabbling for position anyway. And yeah. It's fair to say then there may be some bad blood between Plato and Sutton. Just, just a little Morris, bit. Well, if you believe what's, what's printed and what's rumoured, there is an ongoing legal case at the moment between various bits and pieces there. Um, but it was just more the move because Butcher very cleverly bided his time, sort of let them get on with it, but the crash was spectacular. <laughs> Gotta take people through the accident. Well, as I say, they've been battling throughout. Both cars were fairly slow on the straight in comparison to Butcher's Honda. Uh, he kind of came out of absolutely nowhere. Plato tried to defend and move off Sutton, moved across. He couldn't move the other way because suddenly Butcher was there, which I think was a big part of the accident, not Butcher's yeah. fault. I think that's a big part of it that perhaps you Sutton doesn't see at the time is that Plato hasn't got any room to go the other way nope. because Butcher's now occupying that spot. So it, it culminates in Plato and Sutton effectively turning each other around, um, yep. trying to take the left-hander. Yeah, yeah. left, left, yeah. and then right. Left, right. Uh, as they go through left-hander, Plato can't back out uh, because Butcher is there. Butcher is not yielding. Uh, so Plato effectively turns into Sutton to try and go around the corner, uh, and as such, the two of them slide harmoniously out of view uh, and exit stayed right uh, and Butcher swoops through and at that point of course Butcher is still, still in the uh, hunt for the championship very uh, much so at that point so he slid on through and got past both of them it's, there and was again, a big cloud of dust wasn't there when both of them slid wide and we were just like and it, it was, was going to happen I don't know what they expected we called it a lap or two early because you say there was Bobbing through there for a couple of laps, and we looked at each other and we said, This is going to end in tears. We didn't necessarily think it was going to be that corner, no. but we knew it was going to end in tears somewhere. Um, and then the, again, it's the post race thing I've also quite liked. So Plato effectively shrugged it off as a racing incident, one of those things, you know, happy to be at the front, la la la. la. Sutton was a little bit angrier, I think it's fair to say. A little um, bit. I thought we saw a bad side for Sutton this person. To- toys petty. came out of the pram after that race. Yeah, I thought it was a bit petulant, a bit childish. I remember words along the lines of, I've already got the films, sorry, the forms filled out, they're going to be submitted, blah, 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 blah. 
I, I still, to this day, I mean, I'm not a Plato apologist, but I still think it's a racing incident. I think the Butcher conundrum um, makes it harder. Plato did, I think, from memory, end up getting points in his license for it, mm. um, from memory. I think he got a small fine as well. But I don't think that there's much that could have been done, because uh, I don't think Plato knew where to go other than to stop the car. Yeah. Um, and when you're a racer, you don't, you, you push for every every position that you think you can defend. Yeah, so to me it was one of those racing incidents, I don't like those sort of incidents not uh, you know, to be, be taken away due to form filling and slap on the wrist etc. It's racing, there's no contact, there's ways to handle it, I don't think Ash handled it particularly well. Also given the fact that Ash was going for a title, if that was for a title or that, that was the end of the line, last lap, whatever, I'd understand it, and yeah, farther before we can, but it just seemed a bit bit handbags. Yeah, it was. Um, well, moving on to my final event, and the final event of 2019. Uh, I think we all probably know where this is going. Um, we were both there. We were camping there that weekend. Uh, an experience that we enjoyed, sort of. Um, it was very yeah. wet. Uh, and, of course, it was the final race of the season. The final couple of laps of the season Kamish was looking to win the title uh, and he had to finish second third uh, no I think he had to finish so many places when it's actually yeah it was because of how the race two had worked out yeah I don't think I just think he had finished two places in front of Turkington I think so at the time he was in front of Turkington and it was looking as if he would take the title by the, one of the narrowest margins that we've ever seen um, and coming down the hill at the GP circuit at Brands going into the right hander I believe at Hawthorns uh, and he has complete and utter brake failure and just goes straight on and when I think about this incident it always gives me goosebumps because I remember the reaction of the crowd where we were standing watching yeah. the big screen as it happened and people were just in shock like what's just happened two laps from the end of the season that means that Kamish won't win the title and Turkington will go on to become a four time British champion uh, now in the, in the laps leading up to this we had both seen because it was getting towards dusk and you could see when the brakes were running hot and on a handful of cars throughout the field mainly being those two Halfords Dynamic Civics we noticed they were running hot and yeah, um, yeah we, we were sort of questioning it at the time wondering whether they could make it to the end of the race looking at how hot they were running and yeah then that happened and it sort of like answered our questions but yeah for me yeah, it's a standout moment of British touring cars not just of that season yeah I agree as you say the, the crowd there's a pin drop moment when that happens there was as you say shock shock and take a breath I think some people probably worried about the severity of the incident that's a fast hit mm, I mean, even after Andrew Jordan came out and said that that's a fast hit and not something that anyone can celebrate no. happening you know, a, that is a big big shunt um, 
as you say, it made even more poignant by the fact that he was a lap and a half away. He was he was where he needed to be. Turkey didn't make up another place either, and probably would, wouldn't have done. Nope. Um, it was just interesting because you couldn't get past Ollie Jackson of all people. <laughs> yeah, I know. A steady, steady driver. But again, part of me wonders why Carroll's just pushing so damn hard to get past him. I suppose every yeah. position you can make is a, is a step closer. Yeah. But I would have thought he was, and I think he did say, Carroll, the brakes were starting to feel spongy. And if that yeah. is the case, you just back the you, hell off. You back off and you yeah. bring the car home. And yeah, get it home. And if, if it transpires Turkey does make up a place, then you go like hell again because you've got nothing to lose because at that point you're not winning the championship. Yeah. But at that point you're winning the title, just sit behind. Uh, Almost constant Jackson. radio feed is what you need then, isn't it? Yeah. Just to say, right, manage this now. Manage the car, manage the tyres, manage the brakes, manage everything that you have within your control to bring the car home where you need it to be. Yeah. And to have a mechanical mechanical failure like that at the end of the season to deny you your first British Touring Car title is just I wouldn't say it's a favourite moment but it's one of my most memorable moments especially being there as well yeah and as you say a mechanical failure from a dynamics yeah. car I mean that's very very rare yeah it's, very you know, we've got an excellent reliability record in the, in the series yeah, it left me feeling quite flat. I'd never like to see a title decided that way. I'd rather it be settled on track. Yeah. Um, I make no bones about that I'm a bigger Cannish fan than I am a Turkington fan. Um, oh, it, it would it would have topped off almost a perfect weekend for Camish as well, considering mm-hmm. what him and Neil did in race two to fight through the field in those damp conditions. Um, it, it would have been a perfect finish to the weekend for him. But yeah. unfortunately, that's... that's how it goes really and luck makes these moments either way agreed agreed um, but yeah that's my final one well we've had our top five moments each then um, obviously these are more our own personal top five moments I'm sure you'll have your own out there as well so do feel free to share those with us uh, always excited to hear what your memorable moments with touring cars are yeah, um, we would love you to like, subscribe, review, um, leave five stars if you'd like to. Um, and we have some special bits and pieces coming up in the next maybe week or two. Um, we've been speaking to one of the drivers on the current British Touring Car Grid, and we will be talking um, about some questions that we asked him, hopefully in an upcoming podcast. Um, and hopefully in a week or two we should have a website to launch yes there's been a lot of work going on in the off season uh, we've got the only team hard etc aren't the only teams working hard uh, we've also been trying to get a website together uh, we look forward to launching it very very soon uh, as you say we've got a bit of a coup I do say so myself mm. speaking to a current touring car driver who's been absolutely lovely throughout the procedure oh fantastic yeah. very very kind and we uh, much appreciate the time he's given us so far. I won't give it away who it is for now. You have to stay tuned. Yep. Uh, that's how to entice your audience, folks. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week with another pod. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Remember to subscribe, follow, and also share our podcast for more touring car updates.
You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook by just searching for BTCP, British Touring Car Podcast. And you can also contact us there or on our email at btccpod at gmail.com. 